Start your morning with the CNN Daily News Briefing. In just three minutes, we'll tell you about the stories that are making headlines around the world. To listen, tell your smart speaker to play the CNN Daily News Briefing or find us in your favorite podcast app. Good evening. Welcome to the next and pivotal act in a drama that's about to consume the Trump presidency. And if the founding fathers had it right, tap straight into the most fundamental notions of what the country is and how a president should behave. Day one of impeachment hearings in the House Judiciary Committee. Four distinguished law professors testifying to what the framers of the Constitution considered impeachable offenses and whether this president meets their test. In short, did the president's demands on Ukraine constitute bribery or other high crimes and misdemeanors? Was there were there any abuses of office? This is what the law professors were asked to consider, but it's hardly all that's on the table. The hearing was also a venue for Republicans to make the case that there is no case. It was, as you might imagine, also an opportunity for lawmakers in both parties to play to the cameras and to the voters back home. And as this was all unfolding, one of the central figures, Rudy Giuliani, is apparently continuing his mission for the president, which has landed his boss in the kind of trouble only three presidents have faced before. We'll talk about all that tonight. CNN's Sarah Murray sets the scene. If what we're talking about is not impeachable, then nothing is impeachable. Three legal scholars invited by Democrats told lawmakers today the president's conduct is worthy of impeachment. Did President Trump commit the impeachable high crime and misdemeanor of abuse of power based on that evidence and those findings? Based on that evidence and those findings, the president did commit an impeachable abuse of office. Professor Carlin, same question. Same answer. And Professor Gerhardt, did President Trump commit the impeachable high crime and misdemeanor of abuse of power? We three are unanimous. Yes. The hearing before the House Judiciary Committee on the Legal Foundation for Impeachment kicks off the next phase of the investigation into President Trump, which largely focuses on Trump's push for Ukraine to investigate his political rival, Joe Biden, and the 2016 election in exchange for a White House meeting and military aid. While Republicans took shots at the Democrats' witnesses... Unless you're really good on TV or watching the hearings for the last couple of weeks, you couldn't have possibly actually digested the Adam Schiff report from yesterday or the Republican response in any real way. Mr. Collins, I would like to say to you, sir, that I read transcripts of every one of the witnesses, so I'm insulted by the suggestion that as a law professor I don't care about those facts. Democrats sounded the alarm ahead of the 2020 election. If we do not act to hold him in check now, President Trump will almost certainly try again to solicit interference in the election for his personal political gain. The scholars expressed the importance of holding presidents to account. If we cannot impeach a president who abuses his office for personal advantage, we no longer live in a democracy. We live in a monarchy or we live under a dictatorship. That's why the framers created the possibility of impeachment. I'll just give you one example that shows you the difference between him and a king, which is the Constitution says there can be no titles of nobility. So while the president can name his son baron, he can't make him a baron. Later, she apologized for her comment about the president's son. The Democratic witnesses laid out their legal reasoning for why they believed President Trump abused his power, obstructed Congress, and may have even committed bribery. The lone witness for Republicans argued today that Democrats were rushing the process. I'm concerned about lowering impeachment standards to fit a paucity of evidence and an abundance of anger. Claiming there is insufficient evidence to impeach Trump for bribery or any other misdeed. 
This isn't improvisational jazz. Close enough is not good enough. If you're going to accuse a president of bribery, you need to make it stick. He advocated for letting courts sort out challenges over whether witnesses must testify or the administration must hand over documents and encouraged lawmakers to gather more evidence before moving forward. This isn't an impulse buy item. You're trying to remove a duly elected president of the United States. And that takes time. It takes work. But Democrats are pressing on, preparing for a possible impeachment vote on the House floor by the end of the year. The hearing is adjourned. Sarah Murray, CNN, Washington. Well, there was, of course, more to the day and more surrounding the hearings than that. Almost too much to get to, but we're going to try over the next hour. Joining us, the legal and political team of uh, Ellie Honig, uh, Honig uh, and Milgram, Whitewater Independent Counsel Robert Ray, impeachment law specialist Ross Garber, also Dana Bash, Carl Bernstein, and David Gergen. Uh, Dana, I mean, who do you think benefited most from today's hearings? It's hard to say uh, if, if anybody really did, if you're talking about the ultimate goal of the House Democrats in having this hearing in the first place, which is their broader goal in general, moving public opinion towards what they want to do, which is impeaching the president. And uh, listening to these law professors for us was, you know, was really interesting. But for the public, I'm not so sure that any of these four swayed them uh, in their point of view. Um, You know, it could possibly be that Jonathan Turley, for example, the one Republican witness who was making arguments, not on the substance that what the president did was right, but on the reasons that the process is... When you say Republican witness, he he is not a... He said he's not a supporter of President Trump. Right. So he... Precisely. But he was was brought by the Republican uh, side, by the minority, because they understood that he was going to testify differently than the other three, which he did. But so he gave Republicans... Maybe not so much in the House, but later in the Senate, a potential roadmap for things that they can say about why they're not ready to say yes on impeaching the president of the United States, about moving too fast, about uh, other issues. Again, not on substance, but more about process and his read of how impeachment should go right. constitutionally. Well, David Gergen, one of the arguments that, that Professor Turley was made, and we've had him on the show uh, you know, for years, uh, is that there's not enough evidence. Of course, Democrats then say, well, there's not enough evidence. If there's not enough evidence, it's because the White House has successfully not given over documents and witnesses. Right. Well, that's true. And listen, I I thought that the Republicans made some gains on arguments about fairness and they're not being treated fairly. I thought it was a mistake. It's a symbolic mistake to have three lawyers out there for the Democrats and only one lawyer for the Republicans. It seemed to me that sent an automatic signal. This is a rigged in the favor of the Democrats. Having said that, I thought the, the uh, uh, lawyers they brought did an excellent job. They're well-spoken, especially, uh, you know, the, well, there are two, there, all three were actually very good. Um, <clears throat> but I think they helped to bring uh, light on the central questions uh, of, of the day. And, uh, you know, that essentially... The Republicans have been arguing this is an illegitimate exercise. I thought they showed and and were compelling on the point that this case rests upon solid legal foundations. Mm-hmm. I thought they I thought they put that away. I also thought that they brought in the conversation that there are parallels between how the president has handled this and how he handled the Mueller report. And in both cases, you know, he denied, he denied, he made up fictions, he, you know, he came up with narratives, but basically then stonewalled and refused to participate in the process. And I think they, they, they laid out that case very, very well, and, and the Republican members did. So I thought, I thought that uh, worked out well. And the last thing I would say briefly, 
is I think they introduced the notion that if you don't stop this now, if the checks and balances don't work, this president will assume he can get away with it in the 2020 election, and he will be looking for foreign countries to help him. Well, Carl, that's one of the points that uh, uh, Chairman Adler made, which is that, uh, you know, this phone call uh, to the Ukraine president was made the day after uh, Mueller testified, and that was an example of if, if the president feels he's vindicated on one thing, he then will do it again. Well, that's true. And I think what the Democrats are trying to do is show an evidentiary case and show how this, the facts stack up against the president of the United States. What the Republicans are trying to do is say the process is unfair. One of the things is we have seen no attempt by the Republicans from the beginning, going back to Mueller, to try and learn the facts about this presidency. At every turn, they have tried to obstruct fact and truth. And that's what we're watching again today. If you watch the lawyers, if you watch particularly uh, the, the first uh, lawyer that the Democrats brought up, you know, it was as if James Madison had conjured Donald Trump when the impeachment clause was being argued and Madison was laying down who should be impeached and why. It, right, it was a box right around Donald Trump and his conduct. Ross Garber, you're the impeachment expert. What did you make of the testimony? Yeah, so I, I thought it was interesting in the way they set the table, brought everybody back to the notion that this isn't just about voicing disapproval for a president. This isn't just about condemning conduct. This is about the potential for removing a president from office, um, and the standard has to be high. I thought it was interesting that there was some agreement among the witnesses, all of them, uh, about the fact that you don't need a crime for impeachment, about the founders and the framers mm -hmm. of the Constitution's concern about foreign influence and about abuse of power. But then I thought the differences, the distinctions were also, you know, very interesting. And, and one of the points that I think uh, Jonathan Turley made, which I think is is going to be where there's going to be a lot of the action, is is the evidence there and is it there yet? And if it's not there, then what do you do about it? I think that's a that, that's going to be a good point. The Democrats released a long report. And as you go through the report, you see that there are some holes there. And in particular, I think with respect to the president's state of mind. And, and then you, you get to the question about what to do about it. Uh, Ellie, I mean, do you see those holes as well? Uh, I disagree with Professor Turley. He, I don't think he articulated, first of all, a specific standard for what the evidence must be, other than he didn't think it was enough. I don't think, that, think that's particularly helpful from a constitutional law scholar. And look, one thing that came through today, I think the Democrats' strategy here is crystallizing. It's becoming clear they are focusing on abuse of power. They've gotten away, I think smartly, from terminology like bribery quid pro quo, extortion. That was going to be ultimately a losing or a difficult battle. And they've made clear this is about abuse of power. And I don't know how you look at the evidence, how you look at those dozen witnesses, the July 25th phone call, and just declare it's not enough for me. I was prosecuted for 14 years. It would be enough for me to charge criminally. Robert, did you, uh, did you think that there was... A no. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no surprise. Look, um, despite whatever the four said, I have said from the outset, and the testimony of these four witnesses doesn't change my own view, although I do think it's presumptuous that I, anybody would know what James Madison thought. All I can <laughs> glean is what they said in the Constitution and to the limited degree that there's explanation in the Federalist Papers. That's about all we have to go on, plus prior experience. But I remain of the view that it must be 
treason, bribery, or other high crime and misdemeanor. And high means that that only certain crimes that, con- that also constitute an abuse of power pass the high threshold of impeachment. I don't think that that threshold will be met. And however we got here and for you know, whatever reason and whoever is to blame for it, we do have to deal with the state of the evidence as it is now, or at least as it will be maybe for the next two weeks. To think otherwise is ridiculous. This thing is on a train going down the track for an impeachment vote before the House, before the end of the year, period, full stop. And, and what so you, whatever the evidence is at that time, that's what it is. And Milgram, what do you think of the evidence as, as it is now? Um, so I, th- I think there's a couple of points worth making. First of all, my read of the 300-page Intelligence Committee report is that there is a substantial amount of evidence. And there's a substantial amount of evidence on the abuse of power, on the question of bribery, and particularly on the obstruction of Congress and the obstruction of justice. So do I think it's legally sufficient to move forward? The answer is yes. The bigger point, I think, today, and the purpose of the law professors, really, is that when they go into impeachment, it's not just a conversation about the facts and the evidence. It's a conversation about how does this apply to the law and how does this fall under the law and how should we be thinking about it? And because bribery is written in the Constitution but was before the federal bribery statute existed, there are real questions around what does it mean? We talk about this a lot, but it was worth having this conversation today with the scholars, I think, to set this forward to talk about foreign interference, to talk about bribery and to talk about elections. We've got to take a quick break. We're going to have more. Uh, We're going to dig deeper into the White House's decision to not uh, cooperate with the investigation at all, what Committee Chairman Nadler today called a level of obstruction without precedent. And later, one of the lawmakers doing the questioning, Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell, joins us. In his testimony today, law professor Jonathan Turley criticized Congress for what he called, quote, a uh, facially incomplete and inadequate record in order to impeach a president. There's, of course, a reason the record is incomplete. As we said before, the president wanted it that way. Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and former White House Counsel Don McGahn refused to testify. Former National Security Advisor John Bolton is not talking either, nor is Rudy Giuliani. And then there are the documents. The White House has so far refused to turn over any, including briefing materials for the July 25th Trump-Zelensky phone call, as well as staff notes relating to it. They did release a summary of the call. The August 15th uh, presidential decision memo prepared by Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman conveying that aid be released, National Security Council staff summaries with conclusions from Ukraine meetings, a White House review of the aid freeze revealing, according to The Washington Post, efforts to craft an after-the-fact justification for it, also withheld call records between President Trump and Ambassador Gordon Sondland, emails and messages between Sondland and senior White House officials, including Mulvaney and Bolton. The administration has also refused to turn over a string of briefing materials and memos relating to Vice President Pence, back now with the team. Um, should that be taken into account? I mean, though, the, the, the fact that the White House is not turning over documents? I, I think there are two places it might come up. One is a potential <laughs> impeachment charge of obstruction. Mm-hmm. And there, I, you know, what, what uh, Jonathan Turley said is, well, wait a minute, presidents back since Washington have asserted privileges and immunities. That's what Trump is doing. You don't You don't impeach a president for doing that. The Democrats could go to court. They haven't. The second place that might come up is that Adam Schiff threatened that noncompliance with these subpoenas could be considered an adverse inference, which means if you don't turn the stuff over, we're going to assume it's bad for you and find facts against you. I think that's inappropriate. But those are the two places that might come up. Danny, you exchanged, I think, text messages with Rudy Giuliani today. 
Where is he? Well, <laughs> that he wouldn't, he wouldn't. The New York Times reported that he is in Ukraine, right. apparently working on a documentary to try to uh, prove the innocence of his client, the president of the United States. He would not confirm that that's where he was. Right. But one thing he did say is uh, on the question of the uh, the intelligence impeachment report that came out yesterday suggesting that Giuliani made several phone calls to the Office of Management and Budget. Um, I asked about that, and he said that that is uh, that he doesn't remember calling OMB and not about military aid, never knew anything about it. And one thing I will just add on on the House Intelligence Report, they got their information from Verizon and AT&T because of what you were just talking about. They didn't get information, phone records from the White House because they're not they're not playing ball. Um, they did some they had some information in their report on the ranking member. Weirdly, Devin Nunes, they didn't get it from him. So these are general numbers. And so this is kind of the tip of the iceberg about what the phone calls really were and who they were, too, because it's a, it's a big complex. David, during the break, you, you were saying that you thought if President Trump was a a different kind of president. Yeah. Ex- ex- <laughs> well, I was just suggesting that if he were a normal president, upstanding president who was seen to be obeying the laws and, and, and appreciating the traditions of the country, um, and this and then this happened, and he had made this phone call, I think we wouldn't be impeaching him. I think you know it's like you know, if somebody is arrested for a crime and they're 45 or 50 years old and they've never had anything on their record, mm-hmm. the judge goes very light on them. And, well, and so way, that, I mean, that I sounds. I mean, that's if if that is your belief. That would be that would be an argument against impeaching that that the evidence is no, 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 I, I, no, it is that I think that when you look at the totality of who That's he right. is, he's a walking abuse of power. That's right. I mean, he, it's almost every day he's doing something that offends or, t- or takes advantage of the system, exploits things. Um, and I think that, that this is the first time we've ever had something. It's a blockbuster. It's not going to ha- work. But I think it's right to call him on it. Robert, I mean, is that a fair criteria to... I don't know of the walking abuse of power standard under the Constitution, whatever Jane Madison might think about it. I mean, you know, seriously, with regard to the phone call, I even watched it play out today. You know, evidence at some point does matter. As much as I hear about trying to turn what was in the face of the call a request for assistance with regard to an investigation as equivalent to a demand that was coercive, that had conditions in order to dig dirt up on a political opponent, they are not the same thing. And an attempt to try to make them the yeah. same thing, I, I would suggest to you respectfully, if the object here is to garner what is necessary in order to impeach and remove a president from office, which is bipartisan support, yeah. today's effort, frankly, was dead on arrival. Ellie, the counter argument to that is, uh, well, you know, if you are extorting somebody, you don't have to say, I am now extorting you. Uh, you can just, you know, have two statements of fact, which is the, the, this person wants aid. I want you to do me a favor. And isn't I mean, wouldn't, you yeah. can make an argument, I guess, that there's an implied Right. Very much not the way it works in real life. People do not say, I hereby extort you. I've done more extortion cases than I can remember. That never happens. It's always implied. And the power dynamic is so important here. We had testimony. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman said 10% of their military budget that Ukraine gets is our foreign aid. And the comment by Zelensky, President Zelensky, yesterday or two days ago, I think reaffirmed that. He essentially said in a diplomatic way, 
I really had no choice. I, 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 we're engaged in this war with Russia and we need this. And I think to the point that David was making before uh, about this call, this is where the Mueller report, the Mueller findings play in because yes. Trump was on notice. This wasn't just some naive person who was new to the office and didn't understand how things work. He got a warning. Basically, he got away for the most part with Mueller. <laughs> and that's how I think we're going to see this play into the larger picture here. He got he got the Mueller report. And the next day he makes this call. Well, I, I got to take a quick break. Well, we're going to have more uh, Ellie, Robert and Russ. Thank you so much. Uh, everyone else is going to stick around. A member of both the Judiciary and Intelligence Committees, Eric Swalwell, joins us next. To talk about what comes next after today's hearing. We'll be right back. Today, we're going to look at Republicans' latest arguments against impeaching President Trump. The Judiciary Committee's ranking member, Doug Collins, complained about the process and called today's hearing, quote, a railroad job. The law professor Republicans tapped to rebut Democratic arguments, kept coming back to the idea that one of the problems was things were happening too quickly. Quoting now from Professor Turley, fast is not good. Here to talk about what uh, we heard and what he heard and where we go from uh, here, someone who was there, Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell, who sits on both the Judiciary and Intelligence Committees. Congressman, what do you think? What what do you uh, think was accomplished today or hope was accomplished today? Well, the American people saw, Anderson, uh, serious scholars lay out the president's abuse of power by using his office, your taxpayer dollars, to ask a foreign government to help him cheat an election. And that we're not helpless to that. In a kingdom, you might be helpless. In a dictatorship, you might be helpless. Thankfully, our framers, they weren't prophets, but they did foresee that someone may do this, and they gave us the remedy of impeachment. To the point, though, that Professor Turley made, and he's respected and, and, yep. uh, and not a supporter of the president, uh, he said, how gra- you know, he said basically, because of how grave a charge impeachment is, you know, why not give the inquiry more time? Why not at least try to get the additional evidence that has been withheld? Yeah. Well, in Professor Turley's perfect world, though, the president is an honest broker, and he would not have invoked an upcoming election where the clock is running, and he would abide by court rulings. And he's neither uh, of those. And so, you know, we have overwhelming evidence uh, right now. And yes, of course, it would always be nice to have more evidence, but we can't assume that the president would follow a Supreme Court order. He's never said, oh, if this goes to the courts, I'll follow what the courts do. And most of these matters that Professor Turley is referring to It's settled precedent in the Supreme Court. They decided in the U.S. v. Nixon case that there are limits to executive privilege. And so it just seems that it's a delay tactic by the president. And we have a duty to protect an upcoming election. So is it for you, is it bribery? Is it uh, obstruction of justice? Is it some other high crime? I think they're all on the table, Anderson. And to most people uh, watching at home, what it is, is that if your hometown mayor called the police chief and said, I know that you need more police officers to keep the streets safe. However, before I'm going to give you that money, I need you to investigate my political opponent. Most of us would say, you know what? You just don't do that. That's abusing your office. That's exactly what the president did on a much larger scale. Did Democrats and Chairman Adler miss an opportunity to you know, say to Republicans who want more time, sure, we'll do that in exchange. We want all the documents you know, we've requested and all the witnesses you know, we've subpoenaed to come testify. Would, well, would that have been possible? He, he did make that point, but I, I think, you, you know, you referenced Professor Turley earlier, and I, I thought it was interesting, and, and I do respect the fact in his opening statement, he said he thought the call was, he, in his words, anything but perfect, and second, that this issue was worthy of investigation. What's interesting about that is that is not what the Republicans are saying. 
If our Republican colleagues would say the call was not perfect and we will join the Democrats to investigate this, maybe we could get the White House to move and provide these documents and allow these witnesses to come forward. They have not done that, and yet we've still been able to receive powerful evidence of abuse of power. Chairman Nadler specifically mentioned five incidents from the Mueller report today as evidence that the president committed obstruction of justice. Will, do you think there be an article of impeachment related to obstruction of justice in the Russia investigation? It certainly shows a pattern of conduct, meaning that the president in the past has invited foreign governments to involve themselves in our elections, and he has obstructed justice. In this case, he's asking the day after Mueller testified a foreign government to investigate his opponent, and he's obstructing Congress. I, I can't say right now, Anderson, if that will be a part of it, but it will certainly be a part uh, of explaining the president's intent. So what is next? I mean, is there a working timeline for when Democrats yeah. are going to begin work on drafting articles of impeachment? When would they be introduced and voted on? Yeah, all of that. And uh, Anderson, you know, we're working on a prescription drug bill. We have to fund uh, the government before December uh, 20. Uh, but we will receive the report uh, next week from the Intelligence Committee. So a presentation will be made to the Judiciary Committee. And then we have to make a decision. How do you hold the president accountable for what he's done? Congressman Swalwell, appreciate it. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Thanks, when, Anderson. When we continue to look at how the Republicans on the Judiciary Committee spent their time uh, condemning the impeachment process and uh, in some cases attempting to undermine the Democrats' witnesses. And later, did President Trump leave the NATO meetings in a huff after some leaders appeared to bemoan his tactics? More now the raw politics of the day. Republicans on the Judiciary Committee often expressed apparent disbelief, as well as similar talking points about the process. And at the end, some sardonic acrimony. Take a look. So we are here, no plan, no fact witnesses, simply being a rubber stamp for what we have. But hey, we got law professors here. What a start of a party. The facts are on the president's side. Four key facts will not change, have not changed, will never change. We have the transcript. There was no quid pro quo in the transcript. You gave 1200 uh, bucks to Barack Obama? I have no reason to question that. And you gave 2000 bucks to Hillary Clinton? That's correct. Why so much more for Hillary than the other two? Because I've been giving a lot of money to charity recently because of all of the poor people in the United States. Well, I yield back. Thanks for bringing down the gavel heart. That was nice. Back now with our legal and political team. Joining the group, Scott Jennings, a former special assistant to President George W. Bush and Paul Fagala, obviously the longtime Democratic strategist, both CNN political commentators. Paul, uh, obviously you're a Democrat. How do you think the, the Republicans did today? Well, you could see the two strategies, right? First, the Democrat strategy is to elevate. And so they had these terrific, I think, constitutional law professors. And they, they, the more you hear uh, about James Madison, the better it is for Democrats. This elevates this into something large and important. And the Republicans have the opposite. They, if the Democrats want to elevate, the Republicans want to denigrate. Right? So you gave money to Barack Obama and, you know, your mother dresses you funny. And, you, you know, it's just like th that's what they want to do. I think each of them executed on their strategies. Scott, is that how you see it? Uh, your mother dresses you impeccably, by the way. <laughs> it's a recent development for me. Um, number one, I thought Turley was excellent today. Um, I thought it was smart for the Republicans to call a Republican law professor who could say, look, I... I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I don't even support him all the time. But this is why impeachment being rushed is wrong. I thought that was smart. Whereas the Democrats called three people who've been on this bandwagon for quite some time. Number two, I thought uh, Professor 
Carlin was particularly hurtful to the Democrats today because I thought she was petty in, in some cases, a little snarky uh, and a little vitriolic, honestly, whereas the other ones I thought were more scholarly. Number three, I don't think the ball really moved today. And number four, based on what I've heard from people in the White House and on the in the Congress tonight, there are going to be some legitimate questions raised about the Intelligence Committee report that didn't get brought up today, but are going to be brought up in the next few days. And we didn't cover any of that ground today. So uh, my thoughts are, as Paul, I agree with Paul, I think both sides executed their strategy. But for the Democrats, it struck me as a lost day. I'm not I'm not sure what they gained out of the whole day today. Uh, just in, in, in terms of the process, I mean, what does what happens next? Do you have s- some staffers testifying next week? Yeah, the, next week they're going to be staffers from the Intelligence Committee. I think very much similar to why they wanted Mueller to testify about the 2016 investigation. Nobody's necessarily going to read. I've read the 300 pages. I think most people are not going to read the 300 pages. So it's going to be a conversation about what's happened. If I could also just say two things about today that I think are worth touching on. First of all, Pam Carlin is one of the preeminent legal scholars in the United States of America. I had the opportunity to work with her and Paul Clement on an amicus brief on an important Supreme Court case. I think she's extraordinary. And I thought she did a very good job explaining constitutional law today. So I would disagree with Scott respectfully. Yeah, I, think she, I think, you know, a lot of people obviously point she brought up, you know, uh, uh, the president. The yes. President's son, and which she is later apologized, which right. is, which you, is yeah. yes, I think the right thing to do not to not to engage in those kinds of conversations at all. But the second thing I would say about Turley, and I just want us to pause on this, is that I think it's one of those arguments about speed that makes sense when you hear it, because why are we moving so quickly? This is such an important thing. But look, I also personally think on behalf of the American people. Mueller went on for a long time. There's a real argument to move this quickly. And in some ways, the president is a victim of his own success, right? He was able to push off a lot of the Mueller investigation. He didn't answer questions in person. He dragged it out for months. And the House Democrats watched (coughs) that and they saw it drag on and on without a resolution. And so they're now deciding you're going to categorically say no documents, no witnesses. We're going to keep moving. And if I could just add to what Ann was saying on the process. um, Yeah, next week we're maybe even going to hear tonight, uh, an official notice of of another hearing in the Judiciary Committee next week where the staff counsels, the ones that we saw asking the questions in the Intelligence Committee, they will come and testify and and present their findings. And that's going to be a time when the members are going to try to poke holes in what their findings are. But after that, it's going to move very, very quickly if they stay on track and if Nancy Pelosi doesn't change things, which is it very well could... Uh, be that at the end of next week, the House Judiciary Committee could begin to start to vote on articles of impeachment. Maybe not until the beginning of the next week, but that's going to happen pretty quickly. And then after that, it's going to go to the House floor and uh, there will be votes on each of the articles on the House floor by Christmas, probably by the weekend. So that's, you know, the 20th and the 21st. And we're talking, believe it or not, Christmas is only, you know, three weeks away. So it is going to happen very, very fast, unless Nancy Pelosi, who um, is looking at this and talking to her members as we speak, I believe, is if, unless she changes the timeline. Do you, do you think there's any chance of the House not moving forward with this? No, the House is going to move forward. They're going to impeach and we're going to see new information. There's a cover up going on. There's been a cover up going on, going back to the first questions about the president, his campaign and Russia contacts with uh, contacts with Russia. That's what the Mueller report is partly about. That's what the obstruction charges uh, in the Mueller report are about. And the two fit together. 
context is everything both in finding the truth and it also figures in impeachment. The Nixon impeachment was very much about the context of all of his criminal acts. This impeachment is about cover up and the actions that the president has taken both in public and in private and what he has done to undermine the free electoral process. But it also goes to all of the lying that we have seen. David is trying to make this point, too, I think, that you can't isolate everything. And the reason that we are watching the Republicans refuse to have real investigation is because they know there is a cover up. They don't want the facts to come out. And there has been that kind of obstruction from the very beginning of the investigation of this president of the United States. I, I, I keep thinking. What if Mueller had actually resolved whether there had been obstruction of justice instead of leaving it open so that they could have that second or third count, you know, come straight out of the obstruction materials? That's why I think they're going to go back to the Mueller thing. I think it greatly strengthens our hand for this pattern. Yes. And do you for think, a pattern. Do you think just like that. Yeah. I, I think Swalwell told you that they may refer to it, but I think it, just raw politics, if they broaden this, becomes too complicated. Mm-hmm. It looks like they're just trying to get him by any means they can. I think what's going to happen is that this will continue ad seriatim, that the, the, the Ukraine uh, issue will be a, a, a bill of... By ad seriatim. Sorry, one after the other. A lot of Latin here. You know, I went to law school. Texas loved con law. It's the only subject I was good at. It's also the Catholic background. We always fall back on Latin. But So what's going to happen is I think they're going to have to continue an open impeachment investigation. Yeah, that's right. If you believe, as the Democrats do, that this president's a recidivist, that it's not a coincidence, as Congressman Swalwell told you, that the, the day after Mueller testified, he was on the phone trying Wait, to get... You're, so you're saying there, there's going to be... A, you think that they, <laughs> Democrats will keep an open... Impeachment investigations are yes. rolled like a like yes. the same even in the Senate, even in the Senate trial, even in the Senate trial, it is very possible we are going to see evidence come in from the press, from Trump's own mouth. Politically, right. does that make sense? Exactly. Crimes. It's like Joe Lewis, a great That's boxer. Right. They asked him why he kept fighting past his crimes. He said fighters right. fight. Criminals Scott, commit the crimes. The idea of, of, of an quit. ongoing, That's right. ongoing trials. What? I think that this would. You know what? I hope they do it. I hope I hope all next year they show a complete <laughs> lack of confidence in whoever they nominate for president of the United States by trying to throw this president out right up until Election Day. Because part of what's going on here is this isn't just about Ukraine. It's about it's about everything they've wanted to get him for from the beginning. And they're scratching this itch of a political base. I agree with you that they're going to maybe keep it open because they have to keep scratching that itch. And I just I think a lot of people who don't follow this day after day after day are like, why don't we just try to beat him in the election? Didn't, and, and didn't like throwing New York him out prosecutors is, go after John Gotti for like trial after trial after trial? And didn't public support? I mean, I I was a kid at the time, but like, I, didn't public support sort of people kind of appreciated that John Gotti was getting away with stuff? Yeah, I, I don't know, and I don't. But they don't appreciate that Donald Trump's getting. Away. I mean, he did end up in jail. You do have fifty percent. This is unprecedented. Every president has about thirty percent that want to impeach him, even if he's done nothing impeachable. Mm-hmm. Clinton never got above thirty. 50% of the country wants not just to impeach him, but remove him. And I think where, the, where that will move is when he defies a Supreme Court order to comply with these subpoenas, <laughs> if or when he does that. All right, Scott, uh, I think the I, Republicans I, are going to come up with some new things, too, into, oh yeah. into the yeah. trial phase. It's not just the Democrats. I'd watch it tomorrow. To be continued. Uh, a lot to sort through coming up. President Trump has just arrived back at the White House from London. Did he leave the NATO meetings in London abruptly because of this video of other world leaders talking about him behind his back? You'll hear what they had to say. 
Just a few moments ago, President Trump arrived at the White House back from a meeting of NATO leaders in London. Over the course of the three-day trip, the BBC reports that Britain's prime minister would only meet with President Trump off-camera and on-camera face-to-face. France's president appeared to cascade the president on ISIS and NATO as they sat side-by-side. The trip ended abruptly after Canada's prime minister was caught on a hot mic talking about President Trump to other world leaders. Mr. Trump canceled a planned news conference and left London. Take a look. The person you heard talking about uh, President Trump's team's dropping, uh, jaws dropping to the floor was Canada's Prime Minister, uh, Justin Trudeau. President Trump was asked about those comments this morning. Here's what he said. Did you have a video of uh, Prime Minister Trudeau talking about you last night? Well, he's two-faced. Do you think that Germany's too nice? And honestly, with Trudeau, he's a nice guy. I, I find him to be a very nice guy. And right after that, he uh, canceled his planned press conference, boarded Air Force One, and took off. He's back at the White House now, where CNN senior White House correspondent Pamela Brown is as well. So Justin Trudeau, according to the president, is both two-faced, also very, uh, a very nice guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. According to the president, two-faced, nice guy. Uh, Those two things don't necessarily go together. Of course, these two leaders have had a very rocky relationship from the beginning. And I'm told uh, by a source uh, familiar who has recently spoken to the president that uh, he was annoyed and bothered by that exchange that you just played there, that hot mic moment uh, where Justin Trudeau uh, seems to be mocking the president, laughing about the the press conference, a lengthy press conference he had there. And and so that really seemed to uh, to bother the president. But this source said that uh, these two men will probably work through it as they work through other issues in the past. But it certainly, Anderson, is something uh, that was just another layer to this this uh, rocky NATO trip for the president in London. As you as you pointed out, uh, he also had some strong words for French President Macron over a comments he had made about NATO, saying they're uh, brain dead, and then the ISIS fighters' comments saying that he should take on more. ISIS. ISIS fighters, there's tension with those two. And then, of course, this interaction with Trudeau. And for Trudeau's part, he has not walked back um, what we saw in that video. In fact, he talked about it and made light of it, saying that, yes, the president did hold this impromptu press conference uh, before they met and that it was notable. But he didn't apologize or express any regret publicly. What remains to be seen here, what we don't know about is privately uh, whether the two men have spoken Anderson. The uh, it's interesting because, you know, President Trump has over the course of several years often said, you know, countries used to be laughing at us. They used to be laughing at us. And that seems to be a kind of a recurring uh, refrain of his and that they're not mm-hmm. laughing any anymore. Uh, obviously, this video, you know, you don't they're, they're not laughing in that particular moment, but there's a, they are laughing in that in their grouping uh, mm-hmm. that would seem to belie his his, you know, or at least feed into his concerns that people are laughing at, at him. How much did the video, do we know, uh, have to do with the decision to cancel the press conference and fly away? Well, it certainly seems based on timing that it, it would have had some sort of impact on the president to make that decision. Now, I did speak to someone uh, tonight who who's familiar with the situation, who has spoken with the president, who said actually that the president uh, made that decision on his own, that it didn't have to do with that with that video in particular, because the president felt like he had already given so much time uh, to the press. He had the press conference, of course, before Macron and Trudeau. He had had many press availabilities. So this person seemed to 
suggests that it didn't play a role. But uh, it, it is hard to believe that if the president had seen that before he made that decision, Anderson, that that did not get under his skin to call it off. And we should also note that this was all happening during the hearing in Washington today um, with the Judiciary Committee. And we're told that the president did watch some of that uh, on his flight from Air Force One mm. back here to Washington, Anderson. All right, Pamela Brown, thanks very much. The White House coming up next, breaking news. There's reports of a shooting at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. We'll have the latest in a moment. Quick breaking news out of Hawaii. Uh, live pictures of uh, Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam, which is currently on lockdown. Base security there responding to reports of gunfire at the Pearl Harbor Naval Shipyard, which is on the base. Local hospital telling us it has received one patient. No word yet whether uh, there are going to be more. We'll update you throughout the night. News continues. I want to hand over to Chris for Cuomo Primetime. Chris? Chris? 